Now, I just completed 20 years of ministry along with my wife over this last, um, at the end of December, entering into January. It's been our privilege to be with you that long. Now, that means 20 years at this church. We pastored a number of years prior to, of course. But uh, in our ministry with you uh, has been my opportunity to show some props along the way for messages. <laughs> I remember one Sunday in the old church over in the old sanctuary, we uh, had a hearse out by the uh, flagpole. Some of you were here and remember that. It looked like we were having a funeral on Sunday morning. It's like having a hearse right out here under the canopy. You say, hey, who died? So I preached a message, and that message was, well, where will you be one minute after you die? A very thought-provoking message. I want to ask you that question sometime. Where will you be one minute? Okay, so we had the hearse out there. We had the Grim Reaper and the funeral team in the church with us. It was quite vivid in the way we were going with that. And I always joke about serving potato salad at the, at the after dinner for the funeral. And uh, we served potato salad right in the service. So it was full-blown. So that was, that was pretty memorable. Uh, the first Sunday we were here, we had a 73 Mustang on that side of the platform. We had a 2013 Mustang on that side of the platform, literally driven off the showroom floor and put right there. That was pretty cool. Uh, I preached a while from over there about what had been because uh, we were closing out our old building that was built in 73. Pastor Justin then picked up over there for a little bit and talked about the renovating, what they were going to do with the kids' stuff over there. I went over to the new one and said, we don't know all about it, but our message is going to be the same. They painted boxes that they had out here scrambled up. We put them all together, and it was a picture of Jesus. We said the message remains the same, even though we've moved into a new building. So we've had some fun. We've had a boat or, or two up here, that type of stuff. It's been fun to see what we could do. So I don't ever want to be cheesy with props, but occasionally I use them, but I just don't like to use them all the time. But sometimes they can kind of help you remember a message. So take this that you were given when you came in, put it on your head. We're starting a new fashion, and uh, we all have new hats. Look at that. The youth especially like it. And if you want to leave yours up there while I preach, you go ahead and do it. It'll be epic, and uh, thank you for doing that. And you can take it back down if you want. But this is a filter that we have up here now. Over here on the side, you can see as Pastor Dwight is joining me here, he has prepared for us uh, a big coffee pot. This is fully prepared. It's got uh, all the water in it. And up at the top, it has the coffee uh, grounds in that. And they're in a thing like this, and it has a filter that sits in it similar to the one you have. And it's going to send the water up to a shaft, spout it out in the top, pour it down over this, filter it down through, and then it's going to brew some coffee. After service, that'll be put right up here. You can come up and grab you a cup if you want until it's gone, and uh, that's going to happen. So go ahead and turn it on if you want. Some of you might be able to smell it after a while. I don't know, but he's going to get that started. Now, how many of you like to drink coffee? Lift your hand if you do. You like coffee, right? Okay. I don't like coffee. Pastor Dwight absolutely loves coffee so much that, um, you know, he, well, he really likes it, and uh, <laughs> He kind of reminds me of other people that have been around. As a matter of fact, when I was a, a kid, my father loved coffee so much, and I got to watch how he would build the coffee. So he would put the coffee, you know, the filter in and then the grounds in, and he'd run the filter, and I would smell that. Now, I love to smell coffee. How many of you love to smell coffee? I love to smell coffee, right? So you can smell that coffee, and, and it's doing. Now, I would look in the bottom of his cup sometime, and in the bottom of his cup, uh, if he had a good cup of coffee, he didn't have any grounds in the bottom of the cup, right? Very few grounds in it. You don't want the grounds in it. That's why you have a filter, right? Because you want to be able to get the pure coffee. But you want to go down over those ground-up coffee beans so you can, get your, you can get your flavor, whatever flavor you like. And so 
he would have that. But sometimes he wouldn't get to get everything put together just right or something wouldn't work right and he'd get a few more grounds and it was just kind of nasty was his word. This is nasty. And he'd want to get rid of that, that coffee, just spit it out. So he was a real coffee man and he would drink so much of it. When I smell coffee, I think of home. I mean, he would drink 10, 15 cups a day of that stuff. It's just crazy. He, he loved coffee. He really loved coffee, Pastor Dwight. And uh, he, he would drink that stuff. But something I noticed about it is this. Not only would you have the product of the coffee itself once it had perked, you also had the aroma of the stuff. And the aroma of the stuff fills and sets an atmosphere to a degree of whatever's going on. Today, I want to talk to you about your words. Your words that you use are going to be uh, filtered one way or another, either with a real active filter or you're going to take it off and you're going to say, I don't really want to go with much of a filter. You're going to get some coffee grounds in your words that you give. And so we're going to talk about the aroma that you're putting off with the very atmosphere of the words that you are going to be saying. Now, many of you had New Year's resolutions, and in your New Year's resolutions, for some of you, it included something that had to do with physical fitness. You wanted to go somewhere and you wanted to be able to... to um, work out a little bit, start walking, doing some exercise, all that kind of stuff. But really, I was talking to my daughter about the message I was going to give today, and she said, well, you know, Dad, the strongest muscle is the one you're talking about, the tongue. The tongue is the strongest muscle out of the body that we're really talking about, and it really is. With the tongue, think of this, with the tongue, you can, you can help shape worlds into positive places. With the tongue, you can help tear down worlds. With the tongue, you can build up a family. With the tongue, you can tear down a family. It's amazing what we can do with the very words that we have. The difference between a gossiper, someone has said, and a concerned friend is like the difference between a butcher and a surgeon. Both cut meat, but for different reasons. I think that's probably the truth. Someone else said this. I picked it up a long time ago, and I've thought about it from time to time. I share it with you. The difference between news and gossip lies in whether you raise your voice or lower your voice when you're sharing it. Words will either build bridges or they will build walls. They will either create suspicion or they will bring peace and calm. We have the privilege of using our words to make a difference. And in this message series that we're in, Choices Determine Outcomes, I think it's never more clear than whenever we talk about our words. So I want today, with the Lord's help, to look at three truths from the book of James here in chapter 3. These truths are about the tongue that show us how we can give our words the best chances to succeed in good purposes. So let's look at the first one. That is in verses 3 through 5. The tongue is small, but the tongue is quite powerful. It's compared to three things here in our passage. The first is, it's like a, bi a bridle or a bit in a horse. Now, some of you enjoy riding horses. Any of you like to ride a horse? It's a wonderful thing when you can get on a well-trained horse. Am I right? If I am, say yes. So those of you that know anything about horse riding, you know it is. I went out to my cousin's house, know nothing about horse riding. They said, Kevin, this horse is foolproof. You get on this one, it's okay. It was a big, white horse. So I got up on this big, white horse. I'm probably about junior high. They put the reins in my hand and said, now we're going to show you how to use these. Whenever you go this way, the horse will do this. When you draw this way, the horse will do that. When you do this, the horse will slow down. If you tap the horse with your heel just gently, the horse will walk. If you hit it a little harder, ba-boom, it will trot or run. You determine the speed and the destiny of this horse. You control it. I wasn't so sure. That horse was massive. It would have made a lot of glue. And so I'm looking at that horse and I'm thinking, sheesh, this is unbelievable. 
So I took it around the pasture a little bit, and then I just kind of brought it back and parked it, got down off of it, and felt a lot better about everything. Some years pass. I've grown. I'm married, and we have a child on the way and all that stuff. So our church that we were pastoring at, they had this, this social in the fall of the year. We were going to have a cookout at this people's farm. And he said, I want you to get here early because if you get here early, guess what? We'll, we, we can do some things. Uh, uh, we can go horse riding. I said, oh, yeah, cool. Well, I don't know anything about horse riding. I've been on a horse just once, twice, three times, whatever it was. And so I said, okay, that's cool. So we got there. We finished up all the setup we needed to do. He said, would you like to take a ride? I said, yeah. He said, here's my horse. This will be your horse. Real gentle horse. Not real big, bigger than a pony, but not real big. I said, okay. He tells me, if you pull back, if you pull side, if you pull side, if you tap, if you tap hard, it'll do all this stuff. I say, okay, no problem. I'm following him. We're going out through, through the field. And as we're going out through the field, he said, you want to open it up. I said, what does open it up mean? He said, <laughs> he said that means we're going to go faster. That we're going to let them run a little bit. We're going to open them up and air them out. I said, okay. He said, your horse will follow mine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Boom. I hit that. <coughs> Excuse me. I hit that horse. Boom. Woo. It takes off. So I'm sitting on his horse and on his saddle. And I kid you not, the, the horse, as it breathes, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, all this kind of The saddle starts going like this, for real. And I'm thinking about those Western movies where they're shooting across the saddle. I did not sign up for that. I'm screaming and yelling, stop, Whoa, and all this kind of stuff. And finally, that thing did. Well, guess what? A tongue is very hard to tame. Your tongue is very hard to tame. That is, the words you process are very hard to tame. If you, really, if you really try, if you really use a filter, you'll be able to do it. But he says here, it's like a bit, or, and then he says it's like a rudder. If you've been on a ship, and some of you like to go on boats, or, but he talks about a large one here. He talks about a big ship making a big impact, making a big statement, giving a big aroma, setting a big atmosphere. He said, even a small rudder can determine the destiny of that boat. And then he gives that third little illustration there. He says, a spark, a spark can start a fire and do a major amount of burning. It's just amazing how this works. When I was a kid, we lived in town and we had a fire brick pit thing and it was in the backyard and it was my job to burn the trash. When it filled up, you take it out, you burn it. That's what we did. So I did what I was told. And so I would do that. And my dad taught me how to do that about junior high. And so I would take it out and I would burn it. It was part of my, what I was supposed to do. And, and so he taught me how to strike the match, start it low, it'll burn up high, and et cetera, whatever. So I did what he said. Then he said, when the fall came, as I'm getting a little older in junior high, he said, your job is rake the leaves, rake the leaves from the yard. Now, our yard set next to other yards, other yards, other yards, and all kinds of, all kinds of leaves would come from their yard and ours. We had several trees, you know. And so I would rake them up, and I would have a massive pile. As a matter of fact, it was about from here to the end of the stage, and I would make it three or four feet tall, and it was a big pile. <clears throat> so my dad, when he taught me how to do this, he would get all these piled up. Then he would take a gas can, and he would pour gasoline on the leaves. He said, we want it to burn all the way down to the bottom. I said, good, no problem. He's teaching me how to do this. And then he takes a newspaper that's, you know, pretty good size, and he takes a half a brick, sticks a brick in the newspaper, pulls the newspaper this way, 
And so he wads it up a little bit, lights it with a match at the end, and then he steps back about 20 feet, throws it across there, and all of a sudden, <laughs> you can hear this kind of just, this muffled explosion that takes place as the leaves begin to burn. Basically, we put them back where we had raked them from when we exploded. But anyway, we went ahead and, <laughs> we went ahead and burned down the pile of leaves. <clears throat> so I understood early on that this would happen and it would make a big difference. You know something? You and I have an opportunity to do something. Let me use these as a little bit of assistance of what I'm about. You and I have the opportunity to go around and on conversations that need to take fire and need to take off, we can pour some gasoline and affirm this is a good thing. We really like this. And you know very often whenever somebody else has a great idea, all you'd have to do is come along and affirm that great idea and it would grow. And sometimes out of ego and our arrogance and our wanting to get credit, we'll hold back and we won't ignite that fire just because we don't want them to get credit. Isn't that crazy? We could pour some on. You know, you walk into some conversation and maybe at work, you're sitting there at the table, whatever it is, and somebody says something bad about somebody else and you have the opportunity to pour more gas on it. And you can create a forest fire in a hurry of something that is very bad. You can, you can ignite that, and it can take off, and it can just destroy reputation, destroy people, mess up the atmosphere of the place, just absolutely mess everything up. You have the opportunity to do it. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the phone with my supervisor, and as I'm listening and talking, he asked about something, and I shared my opinion, and we were talking, and pretty soon, I realized I had over-talked about something. I didn't need to share as much as I did. I had branched the conversation a little beyond where we were, in the similar genre, but not really on the same topic exactly. And I had offered too much, and the Holy Spirit checked me and said, you don't need to say that. Why are you saying that? You're not helping anybody. Right now, you're hurting this situation. And I said, you know what? I think I said more than I needed to. I'm going to stop talking about that. You know what I did? I reeled it in. I put my filter on. And I said, Lord, help me. You and I have the opportunity to do something else. We have the opportunity to add water to the conversations. You know what? That's a great idea. That's a good thing. Let's do that. Our kid comes up and shows us something. We're in a hurry. We don't have time. We have an opportunity to do it. Maybe on your marriage, you have an opportunity to say, you know what? Thanks for the meal. That was a wonderful meal. Thanks for cleaning the house. Whatever it was, you really did something great. Thank you for what you did. We also have the opportunity, whenever a bad conversation is going on, walk into the room and by the same token, use this and say, you know what? I don't think this is really helping us anywhere. I sat at McDonald's on MacArthur Road one day. Nobody in the room knew who I was. <clears throat> it was years ago. Some people were coming in, and they were sitting. I was sitting along the wall. Some people were coming in, and I had my kids there on a Wednesday night after ice cream. I had given them ice cream. They were good and all that, little kids. Pastored over in Bethlehem at the time. So I'm sitting over there, and these people start coming in from another church. I would never seen them, didn't know them, never met them. But I could tell they were from another church because they were sitting there talking out loud for everybody here about a church situation, and they were evaluating it out loud. And they were really going at it. And one of them was positioned seated-wise where he could really hold conversation. So more people would come in from his church. And as they'd come in, he'd ask them, what do you think about? And they would just start talking. And it really was criticizing what was happening, basically. And they were tearing down the body of Christ. And they didn't have a clue. I was sitting there hearing them and overhearing them. When I got up to leave, I walked over. And when I walked over, I stopped. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, sir, I've been listening to you. I'm a minister, and you are absolutely hurting the body of Christ with your conversation right now. I'm telling you, stop. It got this quiet in there, too. <laughs> now, I made sure I was close to the door when I said it. I didn't know if it slugged me. 
<laughs> choose your words carefully. <laughs> Run fast. <clears throat> Use your filter. Tongue needs special attention. The Bible talks about it all over. It's got like salt and pepper of scriptures, really, all through the seasoning of the scripture. Psalm 141, verse 3, it says, Set a guard or a filter over your mouth. O Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. <clears throat> In Proverbs 21 and 23, it says it this way. He who guards or filters his mouth and tongue keeps himself from calamity. Psalm 34 and verse 13, it puts it this way. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile or deceit or lies is what it is saying. Jim and Donna had just had a, their first child, little baby. They invited some of their friends over finally after they felt like it. And so some of their friends came over and, and then it kind of got a little bit, little bit uh, questionable whenever, whenever one of Jim's friends brought in a, a, his girlfriend that Donna did not like. She didn't like this girlfriend at all. So she gave the nod to Jim that they needed to go upstairs and check on their baby real quick and said, we'll be right back. We're going to check on the baby. Ran upstairs, started into the room, looked at the baby for a second, and then she went off on this girlfriend that had come into the house. She didn't like it, and she lit up the place, and then they went back downstairs. And it was real quiet, real quiet, until they heard a little murmur from the baby's room from the baby monitor. It was a real problem. People have a way of finding out sometimes the very things we say, and I wonder if we're going to add life or if we're going to take away and add death. Then notice something else in verses 6 through 8 of your Bible. It says this in James 3, that the tongue is small and the tongue is dangerous. It really goes after it right here. James in what Martin Luther called the straw epistle really goes after it right here. He says this, the tongue is like a fire. It's like a fire. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 5, it says this, you bunch of evil snakes, so how can you say anything good? Your words show what is in your heart. Good people bring out good things from their heart, but evil people bring out evil things from their heart. And then it's like, it compares it to a city dump. Now they had a city dump in the Valley of Hinnom, which was just outside the city of Jerusalem, and it burned continually, kind of like over in Centralia, Pennsylvania. You've been there? You've seen that smoldering smoke? You've seen that smoke coming out in Centralia? You know that that coal is burning underground, and it's a constant fire that is going on, and nobody can put it out. That's what he's talking about here. And then it's like an untamed animal. I read about a guy some time ago. Well, no, I saw it. It was, it was, a, it was on TV. It was, I saw it. It was about this guy who had moved over from another country, and he liked odd pets. And they couldn't figure out what had happened to him because he was in his car, sitting in the driver's uh, seat as if he were still there and alive, but he was dead, and they couldn't figure out what happened. Then they started searching his car, and they found this little container that used to have a small poisonous snake in it. That snake had gotten out, and it crawled up, and it actually bitten him on the neck and killed him while he was sitting there. And it says right here, your tongue is like an untamed animal, just like that. Janice Stevenson, in the year 2000, was out in South Dakota at the Black Hills. Maybe you've been there before. Pam and I have been out in that area. And out in that area, she pulled her car over to take a smoke. And she struck her match and lit the cigarette and then threw the still-lighted match on the ground. She saw it. She could have walked over and stepped on it, but she didn't. 
She let it go ahead. That's a picture you see of that fire. 80,000 acres, 1,000 firemen. Took them over a month or so to get that fire put out. They incarcerated her for uh, 25 years and charged her $42 million in damage estimation. Took one second to blow that out. Took them one month to put it out. That's the damage our words can cause if we aren't careful with what we say. And then notice in verses 9 through 12, verses 9 through 12 take us to understand this. The tongue is useful for building up. Now, <laughs> it's almost lunchtime, and we're, we're feeling the, the urge of that, right? And so <clears throat> whenever you think about some food, anybody here ever been to Applebee's before? You've been to Applebee's, and you like to go to Applebee's? Pretty nice little place to go, and I used to go there quite a bit. It, it started, I think, in Texas or Kansas somewhere, moved it over into Missouri. We used to, that's where I first learned about them, over in Kansas City, and, and so we used to go there, and, and I was introduced to the barbecued riblets. They are good. They get in your mouth. They're hard to pick off, but boy, they're good. And uh, I would get a riblet and chicken strip basket. I don't even know if they make it anymore. I don't go to Applebee's much, but it, it's... They do, you know? Okay, see, they still do. It's good stuff. <laughs> now, the riblets don't need anything extra on them. They're so good. But you need to pick a sauce for the strips, right? Because, eh. So what are you going to do about that? They had a sauce called sweet and sour. And I would get the sweet and sour. It had just a little bite without being really acidic. You know what I'm saying? And so it made it, ah. Uh, they get in your mouth. They'd slide down. It was wonderful what would happen with that stuff. It was really good. Sweet and sour. Now, anybody ever heard of Chick-fil-A? Anybody ever been to Chick-fil-A? Well, they're not open today. You can't go there, I'm just saying. But, you know, just, just a thought in case you were thinking, hey, for lunch. But that's not going to happen today. Chick-fil-A chicken strips, there's nothing wrong with them. Sometimes they leave the, the dressing on them. Sometimes they just skin them real good and no, nothing good left on the bird except just a piece of chicken. So you want to dress it up just a little bit. If you like that sweet and sour, you get the Polynesian sauce. And it kind of kicks it up a notch. So you can notchify that chicken in a hurry and eat it, and it's pretty good. But you know what he says about people here? Look at verses 9 and 10 of your passage here. He said, out of our mouth should not come evil and good, blessing and cursing. From nature, he says, you know, in verses 11 and 12, opposites do not come from the same source. In other words, he gives the illustration then following that. He said, from a spring, you're not going to get from that spring salt water and at the same time get good fresh water. It's not going to happen. And he says something else here. He says, he says that a grapevine is not going to produce figs, not going to happen. And he says to us that you don't want to become someone like this that is two-faced in all your ways. Verse 9, what's our goal? We try to bless God and curse people out of the same mouth? He said, no, that's not your goal. Your goal is to be able to tame the heart, tame the tongue, that you might filter your very words to be the person God wants you to be. And so he says, I want you to filter your words. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul puts it this way. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down, not to cut them out. Here's something we learned not long ago at one of the conferences we had here. The lady said, in, as she was talking in leadership, she said, whenever you have an employee or whenever you're talking to a child, you don't necessarily say, would you be able to put this dustpan away? 
You instead say, I need you to put this dustpan away. Instead of, maybe it could happen sometime. No, this is what needs to happen, and we need you to do it. This type of thing. It's the words we use. The semantics matter. Psalm 19 and verse 14 said it this way. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, those things I ruminate on, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We can put our filter on and just ask the question, why am I saying this? Why am I saying this? And that filter will help us think about that just for a little bit. Proverbs 18 and 21 says this, the tongue has power, get a load of this, has power over life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. I was having some trouble in some of my uh, upper-level theology classes and some of the things I really needed to know to be able to pastor. I was having trouble gaining traction. And in the classes, I was thinking, man, this stuff, is, this stuff is hard. I've got to make adjustments. And you just kind of sit there and wonder, am I going to be able to make these adjustments? Or, man, this thing going to eat me up. What's going to be happening with me here? And I still remember when our class was relocated on that day for the particular study we were in. And we're over here in this, in this other place gathered. And the professor, he found where we were supposed to be. And he came in a, a minute or so late. And he came in, he walked right over to me. And I'm thinking, oh, what did I do? He walked over to me and he handed me a note and then went right on back over and began to lecture for the class for the day. I thought, well, maybe that's an emergency slip. I need to call somebody. So I opened that up and he said, I've been watching you. You have what it takes. Oh, what do you think that did to me? Immediately I thought, if he thinks I can, I think I can. And I began to soar in my academic excellence and ended up being named Outstanding Student of the Year. You see, these types of things can happen in our life with the power of the tongue, the power of the words. You have the privilege of making the difference. But it's going to be what's inside you. Is Christ in you? Is he giving you hope? Is he giving you life? Here it says we want to give life. You remember studying the story about Jonah and the whale? When Jesus talked about that in the New Testament, he didn't talk about that as some kind of a, just kind of a fable or some sort of an allegory story. He doesn't do that as a metaphor. He talks about it as a literal occurrence. So Jesus, when he's talking about it, well, you know, the story of Jonah in chapter one, Jonah is talking about, God, I don't really want to do what you want me to do. I don't like those people in Nineveh. I don't think they ought to be able to repent and all this kind of stuff. He got mad about what God was trying to do to help these other people. And what did he do? He turned and got on a boat to go the opposite direction of where he's supposed to go. <laughs> have you ever gotten on a boat to go the opposite direction? Where, have you ever done something different than you knew you should have? That's what he did. Got on the boat, going the other way, and God was not pleased. And God sent a storm that day. And have you ever been in a storm caused by your own stupidity? His was. And the other sailor said, what in the world's going on? Has somebody done something wrong? Why are we having it? We can't even row against this stuff. He said, I have messed up. I have sinned against what my God has told me to do. Throw me overboard. And they said, we're not going to. They try to row and they can't get there. And finally they said, guess what? We are going to throw you over. And so they throw him over. But you know what your Bible says? God had a big fish prepared for him. Now I've read stories about where a big fish has swallowed people and you have too. It's in the news periodically. It happens. And so the thing that is very interesting about this is, God gives him this big, well, he has time to think, right? He's got three days in there, three days, three nights. He's going to be doing some thinking. So while he's in there, he's going to think, 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 think. And as he thinks, he starts talking his thoughts out loud about how he's changing his mind about what God wants him to do. Chapter two now. We were in chapter one. Now we're in chapter two of Jonah. He starts praising God. We're talking about life and death. He starts praising God. Look at verse nine 
in what it says there. It comes up on the screen. It's in your outline. But I, Jonah says, with shouts of grateful noise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This is what he's going to go preach to the people. And the Lord commanded the fish, power of life and death. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited. It upchucked Jonah right on dry ground. You see, when he's talking death, he's in a storm. When he's talking life, he's on dry ground. You see that difference? I don't think we can do this. We were talking about this building in our board meetings, and, and for a while, everybody got analytical, and we went hyper-analytical, uber-ultra-analytical. Well, I don't know, man. That costs, I don't know. What about... And finally, it hit me one time in that meeting. I said, guys, you're either going to speak life or death into this. It's nothing but a vapor of our imagination right now. And from that moment on, we started talking life. And before long, the congregation voted to build this building because we talked life. This is a big deal. This makes a difference. Mark Twain, you know the great theologian? (laughs) He (laughs) He said several interesting things. He said, I could live two months on a good compliment. Guys, if you have a girlfriend or a wife, compliment her. Ladies, if you have a significant guy in your life, compliment him. It won't diminish your value. It'll only add value to your team, and it strengthens them, and it strengthens you. <laughs> Can I get a witness somewhere in this quiet 1045 crowd? Is my own. Oh. That's good stuff, Kev. Keep going, baby. You're digging a hole up in here, but it's good. Keep going. <laughs> Dodie Osteen was diagnosed over 40 years ago with terminal cancer. And she put scriptures all around the house of life. And she'd walk around her house praising God for her healing. The doctor just told her she's going to die. She went under 100 pounds, started turning yellow, which can happen whenever you have cancer. You know that. Could happen to any of us like that. But she began doing, she started doing good things for other people. And something happened. It doesn't always happen this way. God chooses to give us eternal life sometime. But he chose to hear her prayer for life here on earth until she would be at the end. And over 40 years she has lived in that healing and that power. Are you speaking life? Life into your relationships? Life into your office? Life into your children? Life into your parents? Sometimes your parents need a word of affirmation. Thanks mom and dad for buying me this. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for taking me there. Thanks, Mom, for saying that. Maybe you have a single parent. Just give them a big old hug. Sometimes that's a language that they can understand. It's using our filters. Lieutenant Colonel Chris Hughes served in Iraq and Afghanistan, serving our country. And while he was there on duty in Iraq, his responsibility was for the distribution of food and blankets to displaced Iraqi people. And he had a particular mission he wanted his people to, to participate in, so he talked to his battalion and his people. And he said to them, we're going to take blankets and food, and I have arranged with the cleric, we're going to use the mosque as our distribution center. So he said, I want you to get your rifle, and I want you to get your blanket that we have to give and the food, and I want you to put everything ready. We're getting ready to march down to the mosque and bless these people with what they need. So he got everybody lined up, and the battalion were in, in, you know, was all ready and in formation. And they started marching with a rifle in one hand, blanket, etc., in another. 
and they're making their way toward the mosque. And as they got closer to the mosque, they realized they had a bunch of Iraqi people gathered around that mosque. They had rocks and sticks. They wanted a street fight. They thought these guys were coming to blow up their mosque. What would you do if you thought they were coming to blow this place up? And they went out there to defend it and say, no, good happens here. We don't want that. We don't want that. And they thought that was happening at their place. And he realized, and all of a sudden, his emotional intelligence kicked in. And he said to his guys, I want you to kneel down. And so they knelt down. He said, then I want you to point your guns into the ground. They pointed their guns into the ground. He found an interpreter who could interpret what they were doing. And he said, now guys, to his guys, he said, now I want you to look up at the people and smile. Looked up and they smiled at the people. The interpreter went over and said, they've come to give you food and blankets to try to help you. They're not here to hurt you. They're definitely not going to blow up your mosque. The people put down their rocks, put down their sticks, and they began to smile. And they received the gifts as they were intended to help them and to encourage them in their displacement. And this is what we need in our nation right now. This is what we need in our towns, in our schools. This is what we need in all over in our world right now, is for people to kneel down before God himself and say, I am yours, and for us to point our guns, our words, everything that's bad into the ground, if you will, and for us to look up and for us to smile and for us to let him interpret the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit until we can see our world be changed by the very lives that we live. Can I get a witness somewhere across this congregation today? We've got enough warring factions right now to start another war. But what good is that? What good is that? We can go yell our positions and yell them and scream them to the point that we create walls and enemies of other people. But what if we celebrate the things we have in common until we can talk about the things that are our differences and never forfeit the message of Christ or the Bible, but to be able to, in love, speak the truth and see the world changed into the place he intended from the very beginning. Father, I don't know how you'll use this message today, but here we are. We're your people. We want to be able to do your work, your bidding. I want you to lead us in a path that is plain as our scripture was earlier, that we might be able to see it clearly and know it well. Do it. To walk humbly before you and wisely. To dissolve the broken moments in our home through our kindness to dissolve the broken relationships with our children. Oh God, the strains in our offices, the strains in our streets, in our houses of government. Would you help our world? We're broken. But you are well. And we know you could revive us to see you as you are to experience forgiveness and wholeness and we might be able to bless one another and live in peace with all people and holiness of heart through the power of your Holy Spirit and the shed blood of Christ to the glory of our Father God. Amen.